Welcome to the No Film School podcast. This is Gigi Hawkins. And a lot of us are spending this weekend in Park City at Sundance seeing, you know, Sundance movies. We all know what a Sundance movie is, and we're going to talk a lot about them in the coming week. Side note, if you're at Sundance this year, come to our party with Canon on January 20th, RSVP at nofilmschool.com slash Sundance24 to learn more. It's for the folks who didn't go to film school and want to celebrate, celebrating those filmmakers who got into Sundance. Check out our website for more information. But for those who are not in Park City on the mountain waiting in the cold, but maybe in your hometown or visiting your parents, <laughs> I have a movie recommendation for you. And that is the film ISS, which is in theaters this weekend, January 19th, 2023. And boy, are you going to be on the edge of your seat? This is a film. It's a, this high-stakes sci-fi thriller set entirely in the confines of the ISS, a.k.a. the International Space Station, as astronauts are called to duty in this fateful, terrifying way. We have amazing songs. We have, well, just one, Winds of Change. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, I highly, highly recommend it. And the film is just... Such an adventure, so fun. And I had the pleasure of speaking with Gabriella Cowperthwaite, the director of ISS, who needs no introduction, but let me just give you a little bit of background on her. She has worked in both documentaries and narrative films, and her sort of breakout moment or when she really became known was in 2013 with the release of Blackfish which examines the plight of orcas and their trainers at SeaWorld and totally changed the way that entire industry works and it continues to be exposed. And Blackfish quickly became one of the highest grossing documentaries of all time. And it was shortlisted for an Academy Award. I mean, it was just this critical acclaimed darling that really exposed such an important thing in this world. And she went on to work in more narrative work, including Our Friends, starring Casey Affleck, Dakota Johnson, Jason Seal, and she's worked with Kate Mara. I mean, and, and has dipped her back into the documentary world with The Grab, this geopolitical thriller that premiered at TIFF in 2022. So, I mean, this woman is incredible with the work that she's done. But little would you know, you know, she did not go set out to go to film school. She did not set out to be a director. It wasn't until she was in her late 20s did she even stumble upon this, which we'll get about in our interview. The film itself stars Academy Award winner Ariana DeBose, Chris Messina, who is just like the darling of my podcast work these days. I recommend checking out my interview with Rob Savage and The Boogeyman and God, just Christmas scene is killing it. And John Gallagher Jr., for anybody who is a throwback Spring Awakening fan, let's never forget that amazing character that he played and his sort of breakout on Broadway. And it, the performances are incredible. The film is stellar. And the thing about this is that it came from a blacklist script. 
And I know that so many of us out there have submitted to the blacklist. I know I have. Oh boy, have I been, you know, ripped a new one on the blacklist. And this just goes to show that it can happen. It can happen on the blacklist. What I loved about this interview with Gabriella was how honest and earnest she was about her experience. I think that this is a one of those, you know, definitely listen if you're changing careers, definitely listen if you're in a funk podcast. And so I've done enough talking here. You should listen to her talk to me about all of this. She is truly incredible. Here's my interview with Gabriella Cowperthwaite. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Gabriella, and congratulations on the film. Uh, welcome to the No Film School podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So you mentioned that you have seen the podcast pop up around and that it it stuck with you. Uh, my quest, first question for you is, did you go to film school? Good question, right? I So I did not apply and like get into film school. I think that's the important part because there's like what, like 1% of people who apply will actually get in. I was in grad school at USC for poli sci. So I was going to go in a whole different direction, thought I wanted to be, you know, maybe like a, like a foreign journalist or like, I don't know, get, just wanted to get smarter about the world and was pursuing a master's and maybe even a PhD. And then took a course at the USC film school, a documentary course and, and completely fell in love with documentary. And so, you know, and, and that course was going to be part of my poli sci, you know, major and poli sci degree because I wanted to kind of investigate international political relations as media, you know, as portrayed through media. So kind of backed in, backed into film that way. It's interesting that it was sort of this unexpected turn in your career. And we have a lot of listeners who are changing careers or pivoting or coming to film late. I myself personally had a different career before I decided to pursue filmmaking. What was it like to make that pivot? Was it terrifying, especially after investing all this time? And what were some of the things that you did to make it more palatable? Yeah. I mean, I will say it was so... It was this enormous relief because it was like, I guess... I had been speaking the language of maybe wanting to make film my whole life, but didn't even know that was something that was accessible to me. I grew up in in Denver, Colorado, didn't know a single filmmaker, didn't know directors, but I loved movies. I loved storytelling. I loved theater. I was so involved in kind of all those worlds, but never, never knew you could just like go direct a film. I guess I thought there was like 10 directors in the world, you know? And they were doing all the films and everything. It just like never imagined. I guess it was just like, that was a career choice that you could make. So just kind of pursue those things extracurricularly or whatever. And so going to USC and then going and seeing specifically documentary for me, because I was in, I was really into, you know, issues and bettering the world and was trying to do that through like poli sci maybe in some ways as well. So that specifically just sparked this, oh, wow, I could try to maybe do some of those earnest effect changey kind of things, but through this format that like, that's a language that I love and I'm more visual. Like I like, like sort of like coming at things by tapping into emotion a little bit, like those were kind of all 
things that were familiar and felt like in my toolbox, never imagined that I could, that I could use those as, as like my job, as part of my job. So it was a real relief to me. The scary part was I was behind. I was like years and years behind everyone. It's terrifying. It's completely terrifying. All these like kids knew that they wanted to do that in their teens and stuff. And so many people in LA have like parents and have access to so many of the fancy bells and whistles. And so I didn't know really any of that stuff. I didn't know. I had never filmed anything. I'd never edited anything. So I went and interned. So I stayed with the with my, you know, my MA and stayed with USC for that for that stint, but I would like have a part-time job interning at a documentary production company. Mm-hmm. So I just all I wanted to do, I was like working for free, bringing lunch to people, but I was like if I can just sit in on an edit, if I can just put me on production and just tell me everything, and I will just really start gleaning things and understanding things because right. I'm so excited by this field. And so, yeah, so I just kind of like started, learned by doing and was just trying as hard as I could to get to directing as soon as possible, because that's where I felt like I would, you know, eventually wanted to end up, but was producing, you know, right. was trying a little stint at writing and, and then doing a little, whatever, assistant editing, whatever I could to just, to just catch up because I was like 30, like yeah. 29 when I, when I discovered that I wanted to do this. It, it must have been, you mentioned the relief that you felt when you're like, oh, this is the thing that's missing. But to start from square one in a lot of ways where you have to learn and ramp up very quickly. But in order to get to the level of your taste, it takes a lot of repetition, a lot of learning learning by doing it. and And often there is that gap of not exactly achieving at the level. Of course, we know you for your work, not only on ISS, this narrative film, but your extensive documentary work and Blackfish and all these like high, these just best in class examples of narrative and documentary storytelling. What we don't see are those times that you are learning. So could you give us an example of an instance where you were, where you really in that early phase had to had to learn or had to learn by doing maybe a project that uh, did not pan out as expected? Right. Yes. I think I remember pitching something like, oh, we're pitching this documentary idea. And in order for us to kind of get it over the line and get some financing, we got to go to this place and shoot some stuff and then kind of cut together like a little bit of like a rip reel or like a little trailer. And, And I was just like, done. Right, that's just no prob problem at all. Just go go grab some images and get the feel across. And I just remember being like, we we didn't get an editor for this, right? We just thought like, let's just cobble together some of the imagery. And so I went into this place, and it was like this super, <laughs> this is like a cheesy thing we were trying to pitch anyway. And it was just like, you know, whatever. Like I I don't even want to talk about the subject matter because it was just like I don't want to make fun of it. But like, yeah, I was went in, got what I thought were like these great, you know, interviews and and these big sparkly personalities doing all this crazy stuff. And then, and then was like, Oh, I got this. All right. I'll just kind of cobble this together, sort of put it together on a timeline. And then like, like no music or anything. It was just like, Oh, they'll get it. You know? And it was just like, Oh my gosh, we sent it off. And they were like, that is 
like we got it. We're going to bury that in the backyard. Right. And like, pretend we never saw it. And it was just one of those moments of like, you can't intuit your way mm-hmm. in this world. Right. Like yeah. really have to put in the work. You really have to collaborate. There are just really good editors out there. They're just really amazing shooters out there. And like, just, you're not like, let them do their craft. Like, let them do, like, let them inform your storytelling. Again, I would have had that been provided to me, but I also was sort of just like, you know, throw it together and it's going to be, someone's going to get what I'm trying to say. And it's like, you cannot, you cannot ever think that, right? You're just like, go in, trust, trust, like trust your craftsmen, you know, Mm -hmm. and the people that are around you to get you there. Make, be collaborative. Yeah. Um, And, and, and never, I guess, never like trust your bait that your baby's going to be safe. Right. 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 Coddle it. Right. Do whatever you do. At every stage. That's right. Ask for the money, ask for the time. Right. Absolutely. uh, And then just be like, look, it's a long game. Like we might get financing for this, but it's got to be good. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big, yeah. (laughs) Burying it in the backyard. Like I'll never forget that. You know, it's like, oh, all right. That's a, that's a thing I'll carry. We all have our, our body in the backyard, that project that you're like, well, I hope nobody ever sees that. And sometimes they're still on YouTube and you can't delete them. And hopefully nobody ever sees them. (laughs) It's, it's an interesting intersection that you're, that I think, especially people who are changing when, you know, they've had life experience where you have you you mentioned specifically in you can't intuit your way through necessarily when there's this element of craft and obviously there's taste or the art of what we're doing and i think that there's there's something about people who are high achieving outside who haven't yet experienced like the tactical elements of production or storytelling in in whatever way where you know i i also come from again this previous career where my whole job was to sell people in on ideas and figure yeah. out how to pull them off later. So I was really good at pitching, but like the story, the scripts weren't there. And like, you know, that's a a body and a story for another time, but it was a huge humbling experience for me, um, which then I think made me a stronger filmmaker and a stronger leader in the long run, knowing that like, oh, I definitely don't know everything. I'd love to talk specifically about how your work in doc has informed your work in narrative. Uh, you've you're you're one of the directors in our in our of our time and in this industry that crosses over into both spaces, which I think is so interesting and interesting to see how there is still a through line. You know, the tension in your documentary is carry very much carrying over into ISS, for example. And what was it like when you first made that crossover? And what is it like when you sort of switch into these different lanes? Yeah, yeah. I mean, think that. Gosh, I mean, they're 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 different animals. I feel like as a human being, I sort of feel like the way I experience them is I experience documentary as being like steady as she goes, right? Like it's just sort of it takes a long time. The people you work with are like are just you know committed, um, you know, not a not mercurial. <laughs> like there's just not a lot of huge ups and downs with it. It's just, you're sort of like plotting, you know, plotting over long periods of time. And um, you don't have a lot of toys to play with. You got to be pretty serious about your budget, but there's this cool adventurous feeling that you have when you're doing it because every single day 
could be a question mark. Mm-hmm. Like every single day you're, you're showing up, you don't know if your subject's going to show up or something's going to go south. And so you're sort of like on the balls of your feet in a, in a very cool way. And so that's, that's incredible. Also, you, you know, it's real people, right? So like it's real lives at stake. It's, you know, if you, if you don't tell their story well and thoughtfully and with respect, you're going to hear about it and you just, you want to do those things. So it's, a, it's like, there's just like something else you're tapping into. When I moved into narrative, um, I was sort of like, this is so exciting. The bells and whistles are more, or they're more of them. The highs are very high and the lows are very low. That was one thing I noticed is it's, it can, it seem, can seem a little, gosh, like, like kind of hyperbole, you know? Like everybody excited and actors are shiny and things are right because you you know you've got an assistant and you know all these things and coffee yeah. ready like there's all that right and then there's the like there's part of you that you know when when it's the lows it's just like oh there are all these expectations of you because there's a script mm-hmm. like you adhere to this thing there's a bible you're following it and if people don't like the way you're following it or they they think that you are suddenly representing more risk than you are financial safety or, you know, whatever, a sure product, then you're, you feel the tension in the airship. You feel like, it's just like all these people who are just like, Oh my God, you're the best director helming this project. You're like, yeah. Okay. So that decision in that scene, we're not real fans of that. Cause Mm -hmm. you know, that's not, you know, the movie needs to feel big. Like you're always hearing these things and you're just like, Oh my gosh, this is not a very risk averse like, you know, I mean, it's a very risk averse industry, the, the narrative. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas documentary is all risk. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's absolutely. Straight batting, like aiming for the fences with things like, so, you know, maybe at some point I get to a point in my narrative feature career where like, I can just start taking, taking those risks and people are just like, oh, we've, you know, she's got this. Right. But like, right. I think until you're at that level you're still just people are watching you. Mm-hmm. So that's very, that's a very different feeling. Yeah. And so, but, but you know what? I love narrative so much. And sometimes I say like, I make fewer enemies. <laughs> my, <laughs> my enemy count like goes way down when I'm on a narrative, you know? Yeah. Whereas my docs can, you know, we're poking dragons, right? Right, right. Um, and so that can be just like life, life challenging. It makes sense that you would want to switch back and forth at times because they are different spaces of existing and, you know, the highs and the lows versus that, like the steady as she goes. In fact, just yesterday, the podcast with the No Film School folks, we talked about our lowest lows and surviving them, which I mentioned before we started recording about my technical difficulties at the screening for my film, but also you know, the week before, it was like every single thing was going wrong, which happens, you know, and and you sort of like have to be race to go through whether, and I'm sure this also happens in documentary, but what are what are the tools that you have for surviving the the low lows, especially when you're in the throes of production? I mean, I would say probably in production. Uh, it's just that the lovely part of it, the best part of a, having a low while you're in production is that you're in production. <laughs> like every single day, you strap on your boots and you go back. Yeah. And there's something about metabolizing it and constantly being kind of kinetic and moving and working through scenes with people. You don't have a lot of time 
to sort of sit and and ponder or or lick wounds. So it's sort of like, you know, you've got another day. You've got another day of work. And so I think I think plotting forward. I know it just sounds cliche, but like giving yourself being in an environment where you could do that mm-hmm. is, is a gift because you realize that you know that that bad day is going to be one of 30 or 40 and that you're going to be able to work your way out of it at some point. Yeah. Uh, so so that's true. I mean, I also think and I don't know even how to this this manifests with younger people who really want to do film, but I'm always sort of like make sure you have all these other things you love about your life. <laughs> like yes. You know what I mean? Like we do love this and it is just like we're obsessive and we freaking love story time. I mean, I love movies. I'm still a popcorn chomp and moviegoer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I love horror. I love thriller. I love big, broad comedy. So it's just like, I have that, right? So I I, yeah. I always love films, even if like I'm not, you know, batting a thousand on my film. So like I, you can't take that love away from me. I'm always going to love them. Right. That little thing that I hold dear to me. And also just like friends, family, things that, that you find funny, pets exercise, whatever, just like all the fun stuff, you know, adventures, travel, like there's all these things that you want. Like I want younger filmmakers mm-hmm. to make sure you, you have that in your life. Yeah. And make sure you sort of constantly nourish it. And that there's like things you love about your life that aren't film. Right. And right. When you have that, I guess you have, you will have moments where you will, you can, you can just tap into that for a second and right. sort of like, I'm fine. Like I'm going to be just my my life is so much better than this rotten day. Yeah. Like that I'll I'll feel the rotten day, you know, and mm-hmm. and I'll move forward. I feel like it would make you a better filmmaker to have that to have that balance and and experience outside if you're only living and breathing and, and it's so easy to become all consumed by what we're doing because it there's this scope creep like it Yes, in documentary, there's always more work to be done. In totally. narrative, there's always more work to be prepping or thinking about. And yeah, so that balance is, exactly. I mean, that's such good advice and just a very healthy reminder for us. Yeah, right. uh, I know we can get mired. We can get mired. And, yeah. um, and it can be a very, it can be a very mean place, right? It can be very, mm-hmm. like, look at, look at reviewers. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just like, it, they don't, there is a lack of understanding sometimes I think in general about all creatives and about like the whole world taking pot shots at it in a way, you know, that like where you, where you almost think to your, to yourself, like though, have those folks ever done anything that they are vulnerable about? Yeah. Cause like, you know, it's just like, nobody's trying to piss you off. You know what I mean? With your, you're not trying to like, hurt anybody or like, you know, feel that that their sense of what this film should have been is violated. Like, and so like, sometimes you're just going to get punched around. And so like, just learn to deal with it. Just learn to have things about your life that you're like, okay, but I do have this, you know, I'm going to take a beat for a second and (laughs) metabolize this crap and then just get right back in. And I have friends and family who love me. And like, at the end of the day, like that is, that is the thing that, that matters. Right. Right, exactly. Like, in spite, they love you in spite of what you do, you know? Yes. Well, I'm going to use this to transition. Let me see if I can come up with a great 
transition. <laughs> Sometimes you are stuck in a space station and you <laughs> have to face your demons and opponents and yourself. And yeah, it's a little clunky, but but seriously, this film was incredible. I it was such a thrill ride, and and I watched the trailer early December, and immediately when Winds of Change started playing, I was like, oh, I'm in. Like oh, this, I love it. I love it. Okay. It, 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 it be, there's such a, it, you know, obviously there's like su- such a history built into the story, and you immediately arrive with these characters and all of this baggage, and it was just, it was just fascinating. And so I'd love to hear, you know, how you came to the project. The script was a blacklist script. This is something our our listeners are and our readers are very entrenched in that community. And so to see it come to life and to see it have this theatrical release, it's very exciting for us. So I'd love to hear how you came to the project and how it came to be. Absolutely. So indeed, it was a Blacklist script by um, Nick Schaefer, and it was picked up by LD Entertainment. So Pete Shalamon specifically fell in love with this. Um, He's a producer at, at LD, and he he sent it to me and he said, like, I know this isn't like your genre that you've done before, but it seems like you because of your kind of ensemble character work with our friend and you like those nuanced moments with, with actors and with characters and stuff. And this seems to maybe have some of that. So I, again, I read it and I was super, super excited because again, this isn't a genre that comes to me usually that people are sending me all their sci-fi scripts. Like, yeah, I'm like, so that I was like, this is, this is, you know, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat while I'm reading this. And so I, so I really dug the script. I also like, I just thought like just the plot, you know what I mean? Like who hasn't, has someone just not thought of this yet? Like, right. Right. Cool. And, and almost obvious, you know, that like, that we should have been this, this should have been whatever. Like, this why did it not already exist? It's so juicy. It. It's right. It, it, and so like it, you know, I think that that struck me. And then I also started, like, I got excited by the fact that I could just delve into the space station. Yeah. So for me, just not knowing anything with all of my films, you know, like I, I, I didn't know anything about the canine unit for Megan Levy. I knew nothing about orcas in captivity, you know, didn't come from animal activism when I made Blackfish. And then our friend didn't know what that would have been like, didn't know about the the cancer and, and surviving and what it would mean to be like a caretaker. Mm-hmm. So all of these things are just like so exciting, right? It's part of why we do what we do, right? You right. die in the world and just go vertical. So this was that for me. I just started reading everything under the sun and was like, I can't believe I wasn't a, a space geek this whole time. Right. <laughs> like so cool. Like why didn't somebody tell me? There's like the space station travels 17,000 miles per hour. Like, what is that? What? What does that even like? <laughs> how? Like, how? Right. And like, and I don't know these things, like, what it's like to be inside it. Right. Like, you yeah. go there and like, it's super dangerous. Like, you're like really relying on the rest of that crew, wherever, whatever country they come from, to save you. Right. So, like, somebody knows how to fix that duct. Something, somebody knows how to like, deal with the water somebody like there are like these are the people you're like trusting your life with so yes. something about it just gave me it just gave me chills and so I was like I'm I'm in let's just you know try to make this as character driven as we can and let's go 
It happened so quickly, setting up and establishing the world and the dynamic between the Russian cosmonauts and the U.S. astronauts in this like very uh, efficient and specific way. And you're also introducing us to this world of what feels like a true like scientist space. Like we, yeah. every space is utilized. Every there are like duffel bags strapped to the wall and. Yeah. You're taking us into this very specific world that's not like a an overly glamorized or, you know, something about it was immediately grounding, even, even as we're floating through space at 17,000 miles per hour or whatever, and, and, and immediately throwing us into that world, which I thought was just such an effective way. I'd love to talk about sort of like the nuance within the the set design and, and the the costumes specifically, because you know, yes, they're all in their space clothes, but there's something very specific about each character's mm-hmm. looks and how you got t- to understand who they were pretty damn fast. Right. Uh, so we could just then get thrown into the story. Right. Definitely. So first thing, the first thing that happened was, was I like saw the pictures of the real space station. <clears throat> and I thought to myself like that, that's what I want, right? I want all that messiness. <clears throat> I mean, if you look at the real space station and all the YouTubes and everything, there's so many layers. Yeah. Layers upon layers, right? These people have been going up there for decades and decades. And there's stuff like ketchup packet or something. Like there's stuff just buried in there that nobody ever saw where it went, right? In zero gravity, like you lose some stuff and it just embeds itself in a wall yeah. and it's there forever, you know? And nobody's like charged with cleaning the space station. There's, right. Like, more important things to do. So anyway, there was something so human and messy about it. So I, I definitely got my production designer, Jeffrey Wallace, and was like, what, what do you think about this? It's a lot, right? But like a lot of props. But, and he was like, I got it. Let's do this. So he kind of created those pods and, and just worked with this brilliant team to get it there. Costume-wise, so much of it was from like, all these YouTubes about like how the Russians dress and how they like what, you know, what they favor, what they need, what they, what they love. Like just like the music apparently over like decades, according to yeah. his endurance book is like, is like mostly Depeche Mode. It's like, just, like they just want to hear it all like on a loop or whatever. And the Americans are like, I oh, mean, please switch this up. And the Italians are like, can we please switch this up anyway? So there's just like fun idiosyncrasies with all of them. Yeah. Those wise, I just kind of, yeah, went with colors that, you know, felt kind of endemic to that person. Mm-hmm. And then just a little like, you know, Kira has this sort of athleticism to her commander, you know, Chris Messina, he's the commander, but I kind of wanted him to be every man, you know? Yes, and yes. And I would always be telling everybody he's the commander, you know, with, right. with looks or how he carries himself. And great mustache know, too. Isn't that right? I mean, it's just ridiculous. And he, that was totally his idea, by the way. Yes. And then with that, John Gallagher, you know, Jr., he's like, comes from kind of military. So there's a little more of a tight, you know, yeah. button, like sort of North Face dude going on there. Absolutely. He, he like, is oh, a North Face dude. Right? Do you know, do you know, just like, a, you know, and I, I might have summited Everest and I'm probably going to tell you all about it, you know? Yes, exactly. So... So yeah, so I just kind of wanted that to whatever, you know, costumes and production design to evoke all that stuff. Yeah, it, it's, I, I also thought you did such a great job with, with casting and also casting people outside of their type. So obviously, you know, I've seen Chris Messina in air most recently, yeah. the 
the boogeyman. I mean, Christmas scene is having a moment and I'm so excited for him and and he just continues to show up. But yeah. like John Gallagher Jr., like to me, I'm I'm still sometimes coming back to like Spring Awakening, seeing him <laughs> oh, on Broadway. <laughs> Did was there a reason that you like you tapped into some some folks with some musical theater backgrounds or did it just happen to be that I mean, way? That's so funny. I, I didn't think about that for him. I was like, I have, I loved him in all of Kittridge mm-hmm. so much. Like I know people love Newsroom and like that amazing movie that I'm completely forgetting the name of that Brie Larson and he were in. Oh, Short Term 12? Short Term Yes, 12. yes. Like I loved him in that. Like you always love him. Right. And he's just kind of this consummate, you know, gentle, very smart, cool guy. Yeah. And I felt like this was so rad to see him doing something different. Yes. And so for me, it was more just, let's get sort of someone you, you've you seen be a little more tender and a, and so accessible and like the everyman boyfriend, you know, yes. suddenly kind of show up and you think that's what you're getting. And then he's just, he's just playing around. He's just yeah. playing around some different stuff that you've never seen him do before. So for for me, that was the draw. Yeah. Um, and then Ari, I had not seen West Side Story. It had not come out yet. Uh-huh. So, um, she she like read for this role, which is like a joke because she's just <laughs> like won a statue. Like yes. years later. Then like, and I the me, you know, immediately when they told me about her, and I was like kind of looking at some stuff she had done. She'd done Hamilton. So I was looking at some like social media stuff and I was like, I just like her. Like I yeah. like her vibe, you know? Yeah. And funny and she's kind of sparkly and she makes fun of herself and and I love that and then and she's big right she's very big yeah and so it was like does she can she do quiet right and she's small you know and so watching her do the read the read throughs and kind of you know audition which mm-hmm. I guess is so ridiculous um she was just perfect I was just like she's perfect she's got everything and we're gonna be able to hang our hat on her right. as a protagonist because she has those big moments and she has that ability um, yeah. to sort of pop off the screen. It's so powerful. And, and I, I have to say all, all of the performances because it's in such a tight space. And, and also the, the actors have to perform, like they're, they're, they're floating in what appears to be zero gravity, interacting with themselves in this way that is like, I think adds a different level of vulnerability because they're, they can't be like grounded in their performance standing two feet on the ground, but it just felt like there was this fluidity to all of the dynamics that was really powerful and, and unexpected. And like, I found myself not knowing what the turn would be, I think because there was this everybody existed in this gray area where they were flawed in their own way and trying to figure out or like Christmasina's character, you know, being the captain, but not being the fully buttoned up version of that. It was, it was fascinating. And I think it's such a great character study for Mm -hmm. our listeners who are looking at like, how can you bring characters to life who are not fitting into just like a stereotype or a sort of cardboard version, but rather these are living, breathing humans who are messy and things are about to get messier. Right. Exactly. Well, as we, as we wrap up here, one thing we always like to do on the podcast is ask people about advice they have for people who are just starting to starting out on their journey as a filmmaker. Maybe they've made a short, maybe they're about to start their short. I discovered this podcast when I was like, I think I want to try this thing. So I'm talking to 
myself in the past, what would I want to hear? And yourself in the past, what would you want to hear when you first took that film school class at USC? So what advice do you have for us, Gib? I've got two things. I think the first one would be would be that remember that a film, like you have this, at the end of everything, you've got this film and it feels like like a huge deal, like this huge, unattainable, crazy, oh my gosh, work that's out there in the world, hopefully doing some work in the world, right? Getting people in seats, make change, changing how they think about things, whatever. And it seems so big. And it seems like it's greater than the sum of its parts, but it's not. Mm. It's just the parts. It's literally waking up every day, going to work, and you're nine to five, you know? It's just like writing that script one line one day, 12 Mm -hmm. lines the next day. Like it's literally like grab your coffee and go to work and work on the parts. Sometimes with, you know, documentary, it's like securing a permit, you know, with a permit office to be able to film in wherever. And like, it's just like, it feels so unglamorous, so uncreative, you know, you're, you're on hold on a phone call. Like, what am I doing? Like, this is not filmmaking. Yeah. It's exactly filmmaking. Like it's literally these parts. And so the idea that sometimes I think the mistake that we make is we feel like you can wake up inspired and you wake up just like, really, like I'm a creative person. So my life should be creative and inspiring. My day should be inspiring. It's just like, it's, it's exactly the opposite of that. Like, it's just like moments of inspiration or gifts and right. you and far between yeah. all the rest is just a job and think of it as that. Now you don't have to think of it as being banal, you know? And not fun or not cool or whatever, but just remember that it's like, it's like one foot in front of the other Yeah, to be able to get, to be able to get that final thing that seems gestalt, you know, that's, yes. like, oh my gosh, this is larger than life. Absolutely. Um, just like building a house would be or something, but you know what I mean? Like, right. Believe that you're in a house. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're starting with just a strip of dirt. So yeah. There's that. I think the second one would be just make sure, try to remember to be someone that that people want to be around. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's just like that's a real just sort of personal thing. Just be someone who you would imagine people would want to be around. Like, like being kind, saying thank you to drivers, to someone who just like is holding your coffee for a second so you can go do something. Yeah. Like just look them in the eye and thank them. And just try your hardest to be. And it's not even like being nice, being this, being that, but just like, like you want to be around yourself, be someone you would want, you know, because I think sometimes it is a beat down out there and it feels like a beat down and you feel this thing is, I put so much time and work into this and it's just not going to work. And what have I been doing this past, these past years or whatever, when you feel those things, what, what you can at least go back to is that like the process was awesome. Right. Amazing people. Um, you had a lot of laughs, you know, and and that you and that you were ultimately good, that like you yeah. affect the quality of somebody's day in this crazy, on this crazy adventure that you went on. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's those two sometimes that I think might be might be helpful. I can already attest that it it will be helpful and it's tactical advice for surviving this career and making this career for yourself, which is what it is. Uh, well, thank you so much for being here and thank you for making this movie. It's so fun and exciting and stressful in the best way. And I can't wait for our listeners to, to go see it. 
It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much to Gabriella Cowperthwaite for joining us, for going. I think that she literally talked to us the day of her premiere, took the time, went over the allotted time to just open up and talk about the experience of making the film, but also becoming a filmmaker. She was so generous, so wise. I love this idea of understanding that the parts are what make films. It's so important and something that I will hang on to. Another thing that I'd love to call out from this interview was the perspective that she brought to how she creates her documentary films and how she takes into account the real people that she is helping and creating stories around. If you liked that or that sparked anything for you, I really recommend listening to our podcast from the team of Subject, another documentary about documentaries. It gets pretty meta. But it's just such a fascinating conversation in a space that we're definitely watching. We'll probably be talking about it a lot this coming week as we have our documentary roundtables. We're speaking with the directors behind the upcoming Lollapalooza series, Skywalkers, and it looks like a few other projects, including an HBO doc series that's coming out. So watch this space. Thank you to our listeners for listening. Thank you for tuning in and for your constant questions. Let us know what you thought of this episode, podcast at nofilmschool.com. You can also get more No Film School content at nofilmschool.com. You can follow us on social at nofilmschool. And you can like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast anywhere that you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening and uh, have a good one.